You know what a bee looks like, right? Six legs, black and yellow stripes, a big stinger on its business end, and they occasionally sound like Jerry Seinfeld. You probably know that they live in hives, have a queen, and pollinate flowers so they can make honey. What if I told you that most of what I just said is dead wrong for most bees, and that there are thousands of bees out there that you've probably never heard of? In North America, native bees come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. You've probably seen them and mistaken them for a fly or a wasp. These native bees are vital to the health of our natural ecosystems. So why haven't most people heard of them? Just how many are there? And what can we do to make sure they don't vanish before our eyes? Today's guest is here to answer all those questions and more in another discussion on the sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about native bees is Sydney Worthy, an entomologist with the city of Saskatoon and vice president of the Alberta Native Bee Council. Thanks for joining us, Sydney. Thanks for having me. So, Sydney, what's meant by the term native bee? Well, the term native is just used to describe a bee species that was not introduced to a region as a result of human activity, whether intentional or not. So, for example, Honeybees are in North America because people brought them there for their ability to make honey, but they're from Eurasia originally um, before being domesticated. People also commonly use the term wild to describe bees as opposed to native, um, and it's really just up to preference. So you mentioned that honeybees are, are introduced, but that's what most people think of when they think bee, right? So do native bees look like that? Do they fit that typical black and yellow description of a bee? Some do, and the vast, vast majority do not. Um, there are quite a few species that look very similar. Um, I know a lot of people get bumblebees mixed up with honeybees, and they have yellow and black stripes or orange and yellow stripes, and they can be quite fuzzy, but bees can be pretty much any color of the rainbow. They can be red, they can be all yellow, they can be all white, blue, black, uh, green, anything you can think of, they can be that. Okay, but do they behave like honeybees? Do they have queens, live in colonies, all that stuff? Some do, and some don't, once again. <laughs> so honeybees are from the family Apidae, and they are very close cousins to bumblebees, which are also social species for the most part. So they do behave like honeybees in that they have a queen, they have sisters in their hive, and they bring everything back to the hive to take care of the hive collectively. But there are also some solitary bees that are facultatively social. So they can switch between being social and solitary and change those behaviors depending on environmental conditions. And then you also have solitary bees who just bring resources back for their own young. You mentioned that these native bees come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, colors. Just how much diversity are we talking here? How many species of native bee are there? In North America, the US and Canada combined, I think there is about 4,000 species. Um, but if you're looking globally, Discover Life is a website that has a lot of bee keys and identification resources on their website, and they've logged 20,000 species there. So that's probably an underestimate, but we do have at least 20,000 known species worldwide. Wow. Okay. So 20,000 species of native bee. So are these all pollinating species? Do they, do they all fit that same pollinator role in the ecosystem that honeybees do? Yes. Um, you know, I don't recall any that are, are not pollinators. There are 
certain types of bees called cuckoo bees. And like the name suggests, they are nest parasites and they don't raise their own young. They let other bees raise their young. And because they don't raise their young, they don't have pollen baskets to carry pollen back to their young. But even still, they have hairs all over their body and those hairs can collect pollen and still be used in pollination. So any bee, as far as I'm aware, can be a pollinator. So all of these 20,000 species of bees, do they all sort of just pollinate whatever flowers they, they come across? With this many bees, surely they'd compete with each other, right? Yeah, they certainly can compete, but there's flowers of different sizes and flowers of different um, flavors. So different bees like different things. And some bees are going to be generalists and go to anything they can find. And then there's going to be specialists where the flower is very specific to that type of bee and the bee can only pollinate those flowers. So does the term native bee imply that there's like non-native bees? You mentioned that honeybees are introduced. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. So um, non-native or introduced species are species that uh, have not been in a region for the most recent time period and have been introduced as a result of human activity. Some people call this invasive, but sometimes they've been purposely introduced like honeybees. So people don't really think of them as invasive and instead think of them as introduced because it was intentional. So that's really the, the difference there. In North America, at least, there are about 70 species that are non-native bees. So these non-native species, have they all been here for a long time? Are we talking like 200 years, 20 years, five years? Are they still being introduced? Help me understand kind of the timeline here. For honeybees, um, it's it's been quite a few years now. I, I want to say a couple centuries. And then we do have other like solitary bees that have been accidentally introduced. So for example, there's a species called Lasioglossum leucozonium, and that species is not known exactly when it came. It's estimated between 50 to 500 years ago. So when a species becomes introduced, and when it becomes native is sort of up to humans to decide because at one point everything was introduced, right? <laughs> so are they native? Are they not? That's kind of up for debate. But honeybees and other managed bees, as they're called, um, are introduced for their pollination services of specific crops or for honey production. If we introduced honeybees to pollinate our crops, does that mean that native bees don't pollinate those things? Um, not necessarily. A lot of crops still benefit from having native bees pollinate in those crops. So for example, with honeybees and canola, around 25% is still contributed uh, pollination services from native bees. And it's the same for alfalfa and blueberry. Uh, lots of different flowering crops that we have here in North America are helped by native pollinators. When people bring up invasive species in Canada, they often talk about how damaging they are to the ecosystem, how much of a problem they are. And a lot of the time, from my understanding, that's because they tend to compete with other native species. Is that the case here? Are honeybees competing with native bees? Yeah, there has been a lot of work on this question, including my own work for my master's work. And there does appear to be an effect of competition. And it does seem to vary depending on the region and the, you know, whether it's an urban or rural environment. But competition is a factor. In some studies, the abundances affected of native bees in the area, sometimes it's the richness. To clarify, richness is species richness or how many species of bees are in an area. 
sometimes there's there's nothing at all, which, you know, that's less commonly found, but there has been studies that have found, you know, a neutral effect. But the thing is, is that honeybees can't really survive in North America without humans. So if you removed, you know, humans from the equation, they wouldn't be very likely to survive well in the wild. So that's the difference too. Sydney, as, as I'm sure you well know, we've seen a lot of studies and news articles come out in the past few years, um, really alarming articles that show massive declines in insect populations around the world, almost universally. Is that the same here? What does the science tell us about our native bee populations? Are they declining as well? Yes, they most certainly are. Again, this is a very tricky question to answer because we don't have all the data. There's a lot of data deficient species in North America and especially globally worldwide because a lot of nations don't have the funds to put towards that kind of research um, to see if there's been declines. So there was a review in 2017 done by Kobeck and Bird and they found that 52% of sufficient data bee species in the US were in decline and or threatened. And they posit that the ones that were data deficient were also in decline as well, because data deficient species tend to be ones that are cryptic or rare and generally t tend to be specialist and therefore rely upon uh, more specific species that are going to be impacted by things like climate change or, you know, habitat loss. What exactly do you mean when you say data deficient? Data deficient just means that we don't have enough data to really say if there has been a decline for sure. But given that we've seen decline in common species, it's just very likely that there there is a decline in most. You're saying that we're losing a lot of our native bee populations, but introduced or not, we have honeybees, right? So if we lose our native bees, can they make up for that loss in pollination? Can honeybees sort of pick up the slack, so to speak? I mean, we're seeing the effects of relying on one species already. Um, you know, you look at honeybees and, you know, they're, they're not a healthy uh, group. There's a lot of diseases that they have that, um, you know, apiaries have to deal with. And that, that takes a lot of work, takes a lot of money, especially if there's a lot of loss of those colonies over winter here in North America. So putting all our eggs in one basket is just not a good idea. And somewhere between the range of 80 to 90% of native flowering plants globally rely upon these native bees. So, you know, honeybees might be good for certain flowering crops, but they're certainly not good for every type of crop. And that's why we bring in things like alfalfa leafcutter bee for alfalfa, because they're more of a specialist. So while honeybees, again, can help with certain crops, they can't help with everything and they certainly won't help our native plants. I just, I want to go back and just to highlight a metric you just mentioned. So you said that 80 to 90% of native flowers rely on native bees to, to get the pollination they need. And clearly honeybees can't make up for that. So what happens if we lose our native bee populations, given that their populations are declining, as you said? That's, that's a big question and very hard to, you know, give exact guesses on. But, you know, honeybees aren't the best pollinators. They are great pollinators because they're those, you know, they're super generalists. They'll go to basically anything they can. And they have a unique vibrating system that allows them to pick up lots of pollen. But when you look at something like a, you know, a cropland and all these, these same species plants that humans are growing for food, when they pick up all that pollen, that pollen isn't going to pollinate all of the native plants in the area. So the Honeybees go in, they take all the nectar and they pick up all the pollen, but they don't deposit any 
pollen for that plant. And therefore, the plant can't go to seed and it can't continue on its genes into the future. So we might see some cascade effects if we're losing a bunch of diversity of our native plants. um, And that would trickle up to, you know, vertebrates. Vertebrates being things like mammals and birds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something with a spine like us. And am I right in suspecting that this would have a serious effect on our agriculture? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. And, you know, like I said, about 70% of canola here, at least in Alberta, um, is pollinated by honeybees, but the rest of it is made up by native pollinators. And so we still rely upon those to help us get that yield that we need to feed, you know, the, the current population of the world. So far, you've mentioned that we have declining native bee populations, the pollination from which can't be made up for by honeybees. And we're looking at collapse of our native plant ecosystems and major effects on our agricultural industries, among other things. This sounds like a pretty big problem. What's being done about this? In my opinion, not enough. But there has been a lot more talk in the last, I would say, decade or so about bees in general. But the problem is, is that a lot of the talk has been on honeybees and secondarily bumblebees without really appreciating the vast diversity of you know, pollinators in general, not just bees. And some people call this bee washing, where a company will try to start talking about bees and encouraging beekeeping and having backyard bees and having your own honey. But, you know, all of that can actually be detrimental for native bees because those honeybees can compete then with native bees, especially in an urban environment where they're already losing that habitat and, you know, just make it harder for bees. So the messaging really needs to be clear at a high level, you know, government or or somewhere around there about how important native bees are as opposed to honeybees. Sydney, in addition to being an entomologist, you're also the vice president of the Alberta Native Bee Council, an environmental nonprofit group. Can you Tell us a bit about what your organization does and how you're positioning yourselves to be a part of the solution to this native bee problem. Yeah, so the Alberta Native Bee Council was founded in 2017. And the whole purpose behind it was to educate the public and get people interested in native bees and understanding that while honeybees are certainly very, very important for humans, native bees are as well. And there's so much diversity that people don't realize. So you know, it just, we wanted people to appreciate those uh, first and foremost, but we also wanted to start doing our own monitoring and work on that kind of, you know, data deficiency to try and bring that information up so we can start properly monitoring these species and determining whether they're, you know, declining. So for people that are, are listening to this and hearing your messaging and want to be a part of the solution, what can they do to help native bees? You know, the best thing that I tell people is to try and plant a wide variety of flowers in their gardens, in their yards, reduce how much, you know, turf you have and increase the wild growing flowers in your area, in your yard, because those are going to help the native bees more than they help honeybees and, and other types of insects as well. It might even help you, you know, control a different pest issue that you have. It's just good for yards overall. So providing those food resources is the best option. What about these bee hotels I've been hearing about? What what are those? And are they something that people can get involved in to help native bees? A bee hotel is basically just a, a block of wood. I'm just describing most of the ones I've seen at uh, retail stores. Um, kind of shaped like a house with either little cardboard straws or wood straws put into the hotel. And the 
idea behind it is that it will attract leafcutter bees who lay their eggs within these channels, but often they're not the right depth, they're not the right size, and they can spread disease between leafcutter bees, which are normally much more far apart and are a good option for predators to come in and eat all of them in one go. So I don't recommend bee hotels. With the exception of bumblebee boxes, because bumblebee boxes are for social bee species like bumblebees, and we have resources on our website that have instructions on how to build your own and why they're good for bumblebees, and you can put them in your backyard. So those are some things that can be done. If our listeners want to know more about this issue or get involved in your organization, maybe even build a bumblebee box, where should they go? They can go to the albertanativebeecouncil.ca website, and there's lots of information there about the bees in Alberta and lots of information and resources regarding you know, bumblebee boxes, our monitoring program, and our bumblebee box nesting monitoring program. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks for having me. And if you're listening to this podcast, thank you for tuning in. Remember to subscribe for more conversations and insightful answers to questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about today's episode or any of the other topics we've talked about on this show, visit us on Instagram or TikTok at SciForEveryone and on our website at scienceforeveryone.ca. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Miriam Ben Musa, Sam Marchetti, and Connor Nelson, and edited by Jay Jarantonis.